Hi, everyone. This is Nate. I'm coming to you before our episode for this week. And I just want to do so to apologize and kind of let you know what's going on. Uh, We didn't have an episode last week, and this is going up Monday night as a result of uh, me being on vacation. I was on vacation for the 4th of July uh, for a lot of other reasons. My family went down to Florida. We had a grand time. It was great. And then I came back expecting to host the podcast on Monday morning after an oil change. And that oil change turned into a six-hour long appointment. So I wasn't able to do it until now, this evening on Monday. We are not going anywhere as far as uh, Ryan and I are concerned. We still have plenty that we want to talk about and want to engage with you about. So if we ever miss an episode, it's usually because of some technical difficulty, which is exactly what happened. I had things set up ready to go for my vacation, and then it didn't work. And so now uh, we had to wait a full week for that. So thank you for your patience. Thank you for waiting for us. And uh, if you know somebody who listens to this, Uh, Just remind them that we're back. Uh, Usually we do see a dip whenever we're on vacation. We try to make sure that that doesn't happen, and this time it did. So, you know, invite folks back to start listening again. And uh, again, thank you for being a part of this. Reach out to us in all the different ways that we say so in the end of the episode. And uh, with all that said, let us begin our episode for today. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Frontier Faith, a podcast where it's okay not to know, not to know what you believe, why you believe it. It's a podcast where we're on a journey together to discover what it looks like to have faith in our world today. So what we do on this podcast is we like to take an issue, a subject, an idea and talk about it. Sometimes we get right to here's what we want to tell you. And sometimes it's more of uh, kind of thinking out loud and we get somewhere in the end. It's uh, as always for us, it's a process. So um, I just invite you to go on that process with us. And if it takes us a bit to get there, stick with us. I think it will be worth it. In fact, I promise it will be or we'll give you your money back. My name is Nathan Whitaker. My name is Ryan Harris. And today we're going to look at the second attribute of God that we said we would, or at least that we considered doing so. Last week we talked about omnipotence, all-powerful, and today we're going to talk about omniscience, or all-knowing. And what we've discovered in just our little bit of prep is that these two kind of go hand in hand. They need each other in order for... uh, the attributes of God to actually work. And we'll probably uncover that as we go or discover that as we go. Uh, But today we wanted to kind of define what it looked like to uh, have an omniscient God in your theology and then our experiences of that and then um, what we've been thinking about omniscience since then. So, Ryan, let's begin. What do you think of when you think of an omniscient God? Uh cosmic know-it-all um i'm sort of joking but honestly that's that's sort of sort of it like i think about um on the one hand it's it it encompasses like god knowing everything and and like how things work and creatively and like you know obviously god has to know everything in order to create and sustain the universe kind of stuff so it's partly that but i think for me it, it tends to focus more on the aspect of 
God knows the future. God knows what will happen. Um, I think God's quote unquote plan plays a lot into God being all knowing, right? Like, so, um, you know, nations rise, nations fall, God puts people in charge kind of stuff. Um, I think it has a lot of applications, but for me, it, Honestly, when I think about it, it tends to focus more on an individual sense of like, maybe because I'm a narcissist, I don't know. But, um, you know, God knows everything about my life, what choices I have made, will make, and um, somehow works that out for me, which I guess is kind of what we talked about last week. But um, yeah, that's what that's kind of where it focuses for me. I think that probably comes from what, Matthew, where Jesus uh, says? I'm like somewhere like that. Yeah. I know the the hairs on your head and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. well, and the like the Romans thirteen idea about like every authority that's been placed there has been placed there by God, and um, um, you know the nation will rise against nation. Yeah, I think that is in Matthew. Like all of that kind of stuff kind of gets conglomerated. I don't know if that's the right word used for that, but congealed, can, yeah, like uh, gelatinized into <laughs> into one big thing for me. A gelatinized God, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, I always, I, I, you know, all that's true, certainly. But an image that always helps me is uh, from the show Futurama. Uh, Futurama has a lot of great critiques of religion as we've inherited just, it. Everything really. <laughs> Yeah, everything really. Very smart show. Um, and there's this episode where Bender becomes God. I don't know if you saw that episode. I, I've only seen a few episodes, but. Oh, it's such a great episode. So a meteor crashes into him and there's life on him. And he is trying to be God to help them as much as possible. They grow up and, you know, eventually there's world war or whatever on his on his body as a result of this. And uh, in the midst of all that, he's actually talking to God. And God is a galaxy that is a computer. And whenever Bender asks God a question, there's this little computer sound and the lights in the galaxy, they're all flashing up. And then he comes up with the answer. Hmm. I usually think of that like a giant computer in the sky that knows everything that... um, Knows it kind of in a detached way, almost. Mm. I think of it more of a deist type of thing because it's a lot of knowledge. Now, how he acts, of course, how God acts is more, you know, I would take the Christian approach for that. But the knowledge itself is just a database. He has it all and all the, not only does he know everything that has happened is happening, but he also knows what could happen and what will happen. Mm-hmm. So it's like the the cosmic spreadsheet, huh? Yeah. It's got, yeah, that's a- it's got 11 billion tabs on it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and if you think of like the multiverse, right? So mm-hmm. he knows all those multiverses, all those universes and Gosh, that's a uh, that's a uh, a real uh, mind fuck of a thing to think about, yeah, isn't it? <laughs> like you know, because I I don't know anything about quantum physics and such, but I I like to sometimes wonder about that. Of like, so is there a universe out there where I X Y or Z? And then it's like, and if that's the case, then everything would be different. And anyway, not what we're talking about. Maybe we should sometime. <laughs> we don't know anything about it, but it'd be interesting. Yeah, we gotta get somebody here to teach us about it so that we know. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that's that's like the omniscient God. Um, I think that for me, omniscience comes with 
uh, as somebody who values knowing stuff, there's like two reactions I have to that. One, it gives me some comfort or it gave me some comfort because, you know, everything that could be known is known by God. And that's really kind of comforting for somebody that thinks and lives within their brain because <laughs> it's like, hey, everything has a reason. Everything has a logic at the very basic of it, um, basic level of it. But it's also kind of terrifying in a way, too, because, you know, I think questions come in like fatalism, which we'll probably talk about a little bit. It, but it's also like if God knows everything that's going to happen, this is where that hand in hand comes in or hand in glove. Then why doesn't he stop certain things from happening right. in the future? Um, and I think there are interesting conversations around that. But for omniscience, at least as I was growing up in the church, those were the two areas that really brought me a lot of uh, emotion, either great comfort or sometimes some fear. Yeah, I think it for me, it's sort of similar to last week's where it's like there is a part of that that is very comforting. I think for me, it usually focused on the fact that God is, is supposedly... Um, all knowing in the sense of every possible thing there is to know is known by God. Um, I think there can be a lot of comfort in that because it means that I can appeal to someone who, I mean, it does, it seems a lot less ridiculous to ask someone for help who literally knows everything. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Especially when you don't know what to do or, or whatever. And, and the, even the idea of God having a plan for my life or your life or anybody's life, I think, there's a lot of comfort if that person's plan has literally all of the data. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think it can be comforting. And then I don't know if we'll probably get to this, but there are some things about it that like you kind of mentioned that are like, well, implications though are, are difficult um, in terms of God's action or responsibility, perhaps that omniscience might create um, that doesn't seem to hold. I don't know, but uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I think of myself with the comfort, with the comfort for me of knowing stuff. I, I wonder, like, why I'm asking myself the question, why are most com people comfortable with having God know everything? And I think one of the answers I come up with is kind of this human, uh, human hope and presumption. And that is that, um, Everything we do has good intentions, and God knows that we're genuinely genuinely good people when it comes mm -hmm. to that. So no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what we do, it's kind of like God knows us and sees us who we are, and um, he's okay with that. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but I think that's where a lot of people do draw their comfort when it comes to the personal. Now, I don't know if that's what you were thinking when it came to God knowing you, but that for me, it seems to be that the people I talk to, they're really comforted by the fact that God not only knows, but chooses not to judge or can't judge or won't mm -hmm. judge because of what he does know of us. Interesting. No, I never linked that to omniscience. For me, omniscience was usually more linked to, um, you know, judgment, sin, trouble. Like God knows, God even knows what I'm thinking. And some days that's a 
not a good thing to know, Okay, okay. <laughs> you know, um, like, uh, you know, kind of the evangelical Santa Claus look at it in some yeah. ways, you know, um, uh, so yeah, I think the thing I was thinking about is that I think it's interesting for me because I feel like the idea of God being all knowing both makes God more personal and relatable because like I said, I can, it creates a lot of potential trust, right? Like I said, you can trust this, uh, this, uh, God knows what's going on, but I think it also in a way otherizes God or, uh, contributes to the ineffable idea, right? Um, mm -hmm. which I think can actually be helpful in a way because it, it, it makes, you know, God unknowable to me because God knows everything and I never ever could, um, despite my best efforts sometimes. <laughs> and so uh, I think it, it, it both makes a bridge between me and God, but it also kind of um, separates us in, in some pretty important ways too. Um, mm. I don't know, does that make sense? Like I've never really thought about it that way until right now, but I think it kind of does both things. It would have to be both, right? Because you don't have that feeling about a computer or about something that knows a whole lot more than you do. True. But computers, I guess, linked to the uh, all-powerful stuff, computers, whatever they know, can't do everything, right? Um, and in, and I, as I was growing up, these two are always linked together, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know which came first, <laughs> but uh, they... Uh, they all kind of like they work together in the sense of God's knowledge, all knowledge lets God know what to act, how to act, when to act. But, you know, God could have all the knowledge that there is with if without power, the knowledge only gets you so far kind of thing. Those were the ideas that I was right. always given. Yeah. You know, I know they but say knowledge God is power, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, but if God doesn't know, then then God can't do the right thing at the right time either. Supposedly. Right. So right. they both go hand in hand. Right. Um, yeah. Omniscience for me was one of those things growing up. My experience has been that it is an unspoken thing more often than spoken. It's usually within power is how it, it's talked about, but it is certainly assumed. Um, and I want to go back to that comfort because I think people draw tremendous cr comfort with God knowing things about them, about their future, about their, their God's will for them. Um, the and it's remarkable like, for the world in general. Yeah. yeah. I often run into this God all knowing when it comes to travesty in their life and tragedy in their life. When something tragic happens, mm -hmm. that's where, where that common, saying comes up that, you know, God's working all things to good. He must be doing something here. Everything happens for a reason kind of stuff. Everything happens for a reason. Yep. Bullshit. And yeah, we'll get to the bullshit part of it, but I do think that it does bring out a lot of comfort. And what I'm thinking of a lot when, whenever I start criticizing that kind of stuff, Matt, one of our guests, he said something really important, which was he tries not to in the moment, mm -hmm. tear that down. Um, because yep. it is bringing great comfort to somebody. Yeah, I um, mean, it won't surprise you to hear that as a chaplain, a hospice chaplain, that I hear that kind of stuff all the damn time. And, you know, internally, I'm like, oh, gosh, I don't know. But I never say that because it does help people deal with loss and grief and trauma. Um, 
And, you know, I always think, well, there's plenty of time for thinking about that more later. Right now, it's helping them make it, and that's what's important, you know. Um, but, yeah, that is a very common thing that people, and not even just Christians. I mean, people who, uh, people in general, at least at least here, I don't know how that is in the rest of, like, the whole rest of the world. But I, wouldn't, mm-hmm. I would yeah. be surprised if it wasn't in a lot of other places, too. Yeah. Um, I think the other way this came up a lot for me is, uh, especially once I got to older, you know, and especially into Bible college and seminary, was this would, idea of God being all-knowing came up a lot in discussions and theology about concerning free will. Um, and like we talked about last week, agency, you know, so uh, I... I come from an Arminian tradition, at least how that's how they define it now. I'm not sure what Arminius would make of it, but um, the idea that like <laughs> salvation is is in some way based on a choice that I make to accept God kind of idea. And um, it would come up a lot in terms of uh, if God knows the choices I make before I make them, do I, is there any such thing as agency? Like this was a discussion that would come up a lot in I don't know, every fucking class. Um, <laughs> and then, you know, we talk about that as a, opposed to, because the Calvinists, quote, were the, were the bad guys, right? And so we'd always talk about how um, things like predestination and all of this kind of thing. And um, so that was a way it came up a lot. I don't expect you maybe had it exactly the same, but um, it makes sense, though, when, when so much of, well, when such a central part of how things, something like salvation works is based on the idea that I am in some way able to say yes or no, right? I have agency there. It makes sense that that would be a, a logical question is, well, then wait a minute, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, and there are answers that they come up with. Some of them are nonsense and some of them are better, right? Like there are, yeah. like I used to say, well, wait a minute, I've seen a movie before. That doesn't mean I, I affect what happens. Uh, you know, whatever that, that like that kind of discussion would come up a lot. Yeah. Um, none of those really work if you like whatever whatever angle you're arguing about that from. None of them work if you take them far enough. But um, that kind of thing would come up a lot. Yeah. Well, I mean, you said we we didn't have it the same way, of course. But God's will is something we talk about. Martin Luther had a book called Bondage of the Will. It was mm-hmm. one of the things that he wrote to his main rival during the time, not Calvin, um, just another guy. Uh, Anyway, so with uh, Martin Luther's bondage of the free will, he argued that people don't choose based off of their own will, but that God gives. Um, And there's this really neat thing about the gift that I've talked about before here. Um, But God gives his grace, his mercy, his love to us not in a coercive way, as we talked about last time, but in a gracious way, um, Mm -hmm. uh, a way only God can do so. And uh, that's how Luther kind of talked about it. So then he said, well, free will is, is just not a part of the conversation when it comes to salvation. It's a conversation when it comes to how we live in this world. So sanctification is where free will plays out for us more often than not. Well, actually, exclusively, I think. I guess I don't entirely understand that sidestep there. Um, Like, I understand, I get the part about, you know, um, God gives us grace and that's what gets us there, or how that was, however you'd say that. But um, 
like if it has to do with sanctification, like, I mean, how does God knowing what I do or don't do, how does that not affect that if I have some agency in that part of things? Yeah. So how does, let me ask the question differently. Are you asking if I work out my own sanctification, is that not free will? And how does that play in omniscience? Yeah. If, if God is all knowing, like we were taught that God is, which they would believe, right. Um, then how is it not? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we run into the same kind of issues when it comes to that, I'd say. Uh, usually we go to the power of the spirit and talk about how the, the spirit works through our sanctification. And, um, so I cannot by my own reason or strength come to the Lord or believe in him, which is justification. But then it continues and talks about not, not there. It's in a different place. Talks about how, uh, the only reason we choose things that are godly is because of the work of the spirit within us. Does that okay, make sense? That. We're on the same page. Well, we would have been. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think uh, a lot of us really, now I could be butchering it if a Lutheran out there um, wants to correct me, but it seems to me where we just get hung up with Arminians is in the, the free will mm-hmm. around salvation and justification. That's the only place that really, and then how that lives out, I think, is is problematic. Um, for Luther, he calls you guys Anabaptists. So, well, he's not um, wrong. Yeah, <laughs> he didn't like those. No, he didn't like those. No, he but, did not I mean, like those. He didn't like. He didn't like people. a lot of people. But in his <laughs> defense, all the people he didn't like also didn't like him. Yeah, so, right. You know. Anyway, yeah, and omniscience is kind of tricky, right? The God knowing everything—that is the valid question. That's like a question of philosophy that you brought out, which is if, if somebody knows something, does that mean then you have free will? Because if it already knows that you're going to do it. And I think the best attempt that I've heard at that is saying that kind of like that movie thing. Well, just because God knows doesn't mean that he willed you to do it. Right. I used to say that, but I could have done the opposite or whatever, which then the argument is, well, not really. Right. And it's just one of these things of, or maybe, but it's a distinction without a difference kind of, kind of argument, you know? Um, and then usually it would devolve from there into nonsense, but the, the central question there is a fair one. Well, and we get into this. And so the way that philosophically this plays out is the difference between free will and fatalism. Is there a difference between the, well, there is a difference between the two. Are we fatalists mm-hmm. or are we free will people? In, in our seminary, we just kind of like argued to no, no final conclusion. It was just like, okay, it's, it's a fun little argument that people get to have. Right. That you only have in seminaries and that most normal people, even the ones in your churches are like, shut right. up. Shut yeah. Up. yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, I am curious, like, What's the link between God knowing and us doing? Um, what is that link? Because I understand fatalism in the humanistic way. So the humanistic way of fatalism would dis- would be to say, well, you're born into circum- certain circumstances, and while you may have freedom of choice in some sense of the word, you really don't. 
So let's think about coffee in America as a simple, silly example when it comes to fatalism and free will. So the question would be, like, you decide to go out to have some coffee, and that's a decision that you can make in America because there's lots of places you can buy coffee. There's a culture for coffee. It wouldn't be the same anywhere else. I've been to other places in the world where it's not the same. Unless you're in Utah. <laughs> Sorry. Bad job. Anyway. Anyway, you go out and you um, get some coffee. And do you have choice of where you go? Yeah, you have choice of where you go. But do you really have choice uh, that matters in that sense? Probably not, because you're you're just going to go to a store. You have two options. You make your own coffee or you you buy coffee at a store or at a restaurant where you, you do that. Um, do you really have the choice to grow your own coffee beans and grind them up and, and go that route? Technically, yes. Functionally, probably not. If you did have that freedom, which you do functionally, do you really? Like, are you going to actually dedicate yourself to doing If you choose to, so be it. But we're talking about fatalism uh, and the question of how God knowing things like it doesn't take a genius to kind of know that if you're in America, you're going to either buy coffee at the at the store, the grocery store, or at a restaurant. There's nothing, nothing free there. Um, again, I don't know if this needs to go in, but what I'm asking myself is, because we're limited by our context, by where we are, that uh. the freedoms we have are not really free. So the idea that freedom is at least in some large sense an illusion like yeah. we think we have agency in a lot of things that the end result is the same exactly and the mm. end result for that is you get coffee from a store that you then drink and it's a consumeristic thing right so we yeah. could bring that in but so i will say one difference is that folgers tastes like a cup of piss whereas you know good coffee is delightful <laughs> but you, you know i think i think your larger point though about um a lot of times, I don't know about always, maybe, but a lot of times we think we have freedom or agency in ways that at least in the grand scheme of things, I'm not sure there's, it's a distinction without a difference. Yeah. And so then that begs the question for me, at least, or at least invites the question, um, aren't we all just kind of fatalistic in the way that we live our lives? And does God knowing those things matter well it's it's interesting too because there are people um i was listening to a podcast the other day and they were talking about ai and ai is fascinating and terrifying at the same time and the guy he was from some one of these companies that is you know i think microsoft gave him a billion dollars or something and there so there that's their whole thing working on ai and making it better and and he said that his personal belief was that um humans are um, uh, basically an electrical system that makes impulses that causes us to do things. But he doesn't think there's like, it's like an, a kind of the illusion of self idea rather than there being a distinct self. Mm, yeah. And so like that idea, or I've heard there are some neuroscientists who believe that everything we do is just a result of chemical actions and neurons firing in a certain way and that we don't actually have uh, we think we have choice over what we do, but we're really just reacting to biological processes that we don't even know are happening. And mm -hmm. I'm not on board <laughs> with that idea, <laughs> but 
it is interesting to think about in that I do think like the first idea about us just being complicated, very complicated electrical systems, I think is nonsense. But the idea that like things in our brain and chemistry and body and biology and all of this, I do think they affect all of this in ways that we do not know. Um, I don't think that means we have no choice or anything, but I do think it plays into it in a lot of ways that certainly never came up in my seminary discussions about free will. (laughs) Yeah. No neuroscientists in the room, you know. Well, you can lots of layers, right? You can add those layers that are now coming out from people like us, socioeconomic status, cultural situations. Mm -hmm. Um, fine, just a lot of different places. I'm going to say finances, but that's socioeconomical. Um, you add those layers and it just seems like, are you really making those choices? And, and really, uh, when it comes to God's omniscience, does it really matter that he knows those things about us, um, in terms of creating free will or allowing for free will? I guess does it so does i I think this this is makes sense here so does it change the question if god is or is not all-powerful right so so what i'm wondering is like to me it seems that if god knows everything and is also all-powerful then the stuff we're kind of talking about makes sense in terms of deterministic kind of approaches if god knows everything but is not all-powerful then it almost seems like we're kind of being silly because in that sense, God doesn't have much to do with what we do if, right? Or maybe not. I don't know. I'm just, I'm wondering if do those two require each other like we were told they do? Well, here, here's what's uh, went to my brain immediately. Just to use the coffee example. God, if God is all powerful, um, I have not yet seen God choose to make someone's backyard a paradise to grow coffee, right? That just doesn't happen. Um, so he doesn't make it so that our choices become less encumbered by our context. It doesn't seem that that's what happens. It seems like, could God make it possible for us to break free of our systems perhaps, or through our context, rather, not our systems, but our context, perhaps, but God doesn't seem to do that, does he? I, I don't think that's I mean, a, a general depends mode. depends who you him. ask, I guess. In this particular example, no, God does not seem to plant many coffee beans. Um, but, uh, you know, could, well, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a tricky thing to think about because I, I guess... I think for me, the idea, kind of what we talked about last week, is that if God knows everything and is also able to do everything and does that in whatever way that works, then I do think free will might be more of an illusion in the sense of like, well, God knows what I'm going to do and God some way affected it or at least could have affected it one way or the other. In which case, I don't know that my choices mean that much. I, I don't know is what I'm saying. But if God knows what I do, but has no real power or not enough power or whatever to affect it in any way, then I start to ask, then it seems like the question is is less important in the sense that God can know whatever God knows, but if God can't do anything in, in uh, relation to that, then it seems like I have a lot more agency in that idea. Okay. 
it's interesting because, uh, you know, where we eventually will have a conversation around process theology, they would say the same thing. And that's kind of a Armenian Calvinist kind of uh, Mm -hmm. approach to, and they're really interested in free will, mm-hmm. and that's exactly how they see God, is somebody who would know a lot about what's going on currently and what has gone on, but is not powerful enough or even knowledgeable of the future to be able to, to yeah, do or that. in some way, God has limited God's self and how God can right. act, or, which never made a lot of sense to me. But I admit I'm not well read on, on their stuff. So, um, yeah. So anyway, um, well, as I said, so maybe is it time to talk about then what are some of the problems or potential or what are some of the implications of God being all knowing in the way that we were taught? Hmm. I mean, some of them are the similar or the same as the ones we brought up last week, right? The idea that a God who knows everything that will happen to me in my life, um, you know, good things, but also traumas or whatever. Like there is this, I think, similar questions about does God care if God knows all of that? And, you know, that kind of, I think those are similar questions that come up, Um, which I don't know. Is there a big distinction in in that compared to the all-powerful stuff? Um, Or is it basically the same, just another dimension of it? What do you think? What do I think? What do we think? (laughs) (laughs) Well, one of the ways that I really have thought this one through is uh, the stories we tell about past traumas and past problems and past, uh, yeah, difficulties. Uh, And I've noticed this in the church, and this is a problem. Uh, People push away those traumas as if they were God-ordained traumas. Mm -hmm. And... You know, we can parse out where power fits into that, but where really where the conversation really comes from or the the comments really come from is around God knowing. God knew that that would happen to me, ergo, that thing happening to me was a good thing is Hmm. usually how I hear that argument. So, Which doesn't necessarily follow, but that is always how it's presented. Right. Right. Yeah. And I've heard it from uh, terrible things like God knew my son wouldn't be around for very long. And so he's in heaven now. He's an angel and blah, blah, blah. Even though um, that's bullshit, first of all, God didn't kill anybody's kid. And secondly, it, it kind of hides the person from not, not on their own uh power. They haven't chosen to do this, I don't think, but they hide themselves from the trauma that they had Mm -hmm. and the feelings of what that brought out and the healing. Uh, There was a a woman in a congregation in my vicarage a long time ago um, where she was dealing with, I think it's the 14th year anniversary of her child dying. And she would say this story all the time. Well, you know, God brought, so I celebrate his birthday and this, that, and the other, because it's his birthday in heaven. And like some of that stuff's not problematic in and of itself. It, you know, it's one of those things that's helping her deal with the, the loss of her child. But at the same time, when she would talk, it would always be with this all knowing thing. Well, God knew he only had a certain amount of time with me in this life and I had that time with him, and now he's gone, and I just have to be okay with that. 
And my my gut reaction was, uh, no, you don't have to be okay with that. That's actually pretty shitty that you lost your child. Um, well, yeah, I think I think that's one of the things that would happen a lot is this idea that, um, like we talked about how the all-knowing God could be a comfort, and I think it can be, especially in things like that. But then it, it rarely stayed there and seemed to often very quickly transmogrify into um, this terrible thing that's happened is not terrible because God knows what's going on. And I think that that's the side of that where, where like you're saying, it's like, well, hold on. I don't know that we want God to, you know, it's like Matt's story where he was talking about, he had convinced yeah, himself that God killed his friends so that he would be in ministry kind of stuff. And, yeah. uh, you know, that kind of thing is, that's not, that's not the God we want. I don't, I don't think, and I, and I don't think God is that way. Cause you know, I don't think we get to go to the God store and pick our, well, anyway, anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think some of the implications are the same as, as the all powerful ones. Um, well, for me, what that does is like, if I were to take that just a layer deeper for a minute, it would be like, this is the theodicy problem once again. What they're more concerned about, even though you know it's not a judgment to say that they're concerned this way, but what they're more concerned about is God being good than the tragedy that has occurred, the trauma that has happened, and how one can can heal from that tragedy and trauma. And I know why, this is why theodicy is such a shitty thing and such a big problem within modern uh, interpretations of scripture, but uh, it's it's because if God's not good, then the death is meaningless for a lot of those mm -hmm. folks. Mm -hmm. And I get that, I really do. But I think you can have, you can still have meaning to your son or daughter's death without God knowing that it would have happened. I think you can still do that because what you can depend on, this is what a Lutheran would do. I'm sure this is what any Christian would do is, well, what matters is, is God loves your son, period, end of story. It doesn't matter if he died in terms of his love for him. He's going to take care of your son no matter what. Well, I mean, I do think that like if, if God, if all my days are numbered, right? If God knows exactly when I'm going to die, that doesn't, necessitate the therefore um the death was a good thing i think that's usually what it goes to but i don't know that that has to be the case um i think it it uh yeah i don't think that one necessarily has to follow the other but i think it always has in what mm -hmm. i was taught right like yeah so god knew that let's say that god knew knows when i'm going to die and so maybe that means that when that happens god also knows how to comfort my family and the people who care about me right i mean it doesn't mean that god was like yeah, i got another one you know <laughs> which is almost how it sounds with some of these yeah. other things um but uh yeah. And that draws out the real clear connection. I think you're saying now I get the question more, which is um, our power and knowledge really indistinguishable. Um, well, when it comes to God or anyway. rather distinguishable. Yeah. When yeah. it comes to God, because the way in which somebody makes that leap, I think has to do with God's power. Mm -hmm. Well, he could have stopped the death, but he didn't even right, though he right. knew it was coming. Hmm. 
Yeah, I think the other area, and maybe we come to the same conclusion, but the other area where I notice a lot of troubling things with God, God's knowledge is Christian apathy, because God knows what the future is going to be. I don't have to do anything to make it come about. In fact, Lutherans, <laughs> I'm sure other Christians do this too, but Lutherans make it kind of bad to do something if God knows what's going to happen. Why? They, um, is it a wasted effort? or No, because you're getting in the way and you're trying to make it your thing instead of God's oh, thing. How powerful are you? Yeah, it, it's really quite weird. I can um, just see God up there being like, well, I was going to do this, but that Ryan, I tell you. <laughs> well, it's it's this apathy, this weird apathy that we have uh, in the congregation that I'm serving right now. We've I've observed this weird apathy where we think that God's going to, I call it magic, God's going to magically just make everything better without any of our help because he knows what the future is for us. Mm-hmm. And the thing I always think about is, well, what if the future for the church is that you close and everybody goes somebody somewhere what, else? What if the future is, wait for it, not what you want it to be? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but and maybe that's a second component of it, not just apathy, but uh, what would you call that? Uh, blind optimism, it's rosy colored glasses. It's, it's, like a, it's like a psychological thing in a sense of it lets us wash our hands of um, buy-in or responsibility mm-hmm. for things because God knows everything and God will take care of it. And it's like, well, hmm, maybe God wants to take care of it through our, like using us. I don't know. There's a thought, but um, yeah, no, that's a good point. I think I do run into that a lot. The idea that, um, you know, well, after all, God's all powerful, all knowing, and God knows what's going to happen. So God will take care of it. And it's like, well, I, I mean, I think God will take care of it. But I don't know why we always assume that that means God will do what I want. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think all of us do and some sometimes, but um, sometimes God has done the opposite of what I wanted. And usually I, I think I can say it turned out better, but at the time it was not uh, not what I would have chosen. And he didn't do it magically. He did it, as you said, through other people, which is such a weird thing for Lutherans to hold on to, which they do a lot. We ha- we have the theology of the means. We have this whole. I know. Like, I was going to say of, you should be all over that. I, I know we should be, but we're not. We're like, no, we're gonna just. I, and I like what you brought up because I think that's probably more true than we would like to think. That we're doing it to avoid responsibility um, because either it's too hard or we don't see it being possible or it. whatever it might be. Yeah, yeah we're scared. Um, yeah. But I think that's a huge piece of it. I mean, that's true for, I, well, maybe everybody, but Christians in general, I don't think you have the the market cornered on, right. on that um, kind of a, uh, I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of a pilot approach to things in the sense of like, yeah, I could have done all kinds of things, but that sounds like it'll create a lot of paperwork for me. So yeah. I wash my hands <laughs> of it, you know, and it's like, um, well, I mean, you could do that. You can certainly do that, but um you know, and I don't, and I don't think either of us are trying to say that we think our effort can necessarily change God's plans. I mean, I really, honestly, don't know how that all works, but I do think that God often uses our effort for our good, 
you know, mm. um, and God will, I mean, I think God will accomplish what God wants to. I just don't know how that works. And I do, I do think we should be careful about always assuming it'll be what we want. Cause unless everybody's lives have been very different than mine, um, <laughs> that's not usually how it's worked out. <laughs> well, what you said really made me think, and maybe this is the crux of the issue, really. Maybe the crux of the issue is, I don't know how all this works either, but are we supposed to know how it all works? Like how God does things are, is that what we're actually supposed to be putting our time, energy and effort into? It seems to me that Jesus is very interested in having us just live for other people and take care of other people. And of course ourselves as we do so. And maybe that's like the biggest concern for me isn't so much that these omnis are there, even though I have some concerns about the omnis, but maybe that we're spending so damn much time on it mm -hmm. that we're focusing on God's character. And what it does is it creates this like weird, maybe cognitive dissonance, maybe just separation from reality in such a way that we're not actually doing what we need to be doing. I don't want to say it quite like that, but I think you know what I mean, right? Mm -hmm. No, I mean, I think that's fair. Um, I think in some ways we're kind of talking out both sides of our mouth because on the one in one breath, we'll say, um, oh, we'll say God knows it and knows what's going to happen. And so then it's all fine. And then in the next breath, we'll say, um, but I better make sure I do uh, what's right or whatever because, you know, or, or like I would run into in my former church world a lot, things like, um, you know, they always believed that, uh, or people would believe things like, well, if this person dies and dies and I didn't tell them about Jesus, then them going to hell is my fault kind of yeah. thing. And it's just like, Ooh, boy, wait a minute. Let's, uh, let's hold, <laughs> let's back the truck up there. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I think, I think for me, the, the thing that, that troubles me the most is this, I've talked about this before, but it's another example of us coming up with a theology or a theological system that we decide is right, decide is true, and we don't care what that makes God into because it doesn't matter. It's true, right? So it doesn't matter that that might make God into a monster because it's true. So God's not really a monster, even though monstrous things might happen. You know, take your pick about whatever you're talking about. And I'm not saying that, like, I understand that theology is imperfect. I understand that that's never going to work out perfectly. And I don't even know that I'm saying that things like that mean we, sh we will never have conclusions where we go, gee, I don't know that that might be problematic in some ways. But I think just the total washing our hands of all implications of what the theology means, and not just means, but like the effect it has on real people in people's lives. Um, because, well, it's true. So who we don't give a fuck about what it does to people or says to people or tells people about God or whatever. That's the part where I say, look, I don't know what the right theology is all the time or often maybe, but I know that we can't just be like, doesn't matter. You know, it yeah. doesn't matter because uh, what we're saying then is that the people it affects, well, they don't matter either. Yeah. I, so like the way I conceptualize what you just said is 
you know, it helps people in the moment as their loved one is dying to know that God knows everything. But what happens when all of that chaos and all of the the fight or flight part of that reality goes away and you get into the banality of reality where you can start to really consider that those moments are really tough for people because they don't have, I mean, the things that we tell them, the theologies we have them hold on to, they have a hard time doing so. And it starts to show who got, well, you know, when you really miss somebody, you mean God knew everything and he could have stopped everything? Um, and I'm here dealing with the loss of my child. And let's just go hyper extreme. It could be anybody, your mother, your spouse, your whatever, um, your partner, your kid. Yeah. And the answer is kind of, as you say, it turns God into something in those moments that are not not the God that I notice in Scripture. Well, certainly not the Jesus I see in Scripture. And I don't just mean like it creates image problems for God with people who aren't Christians, though it can do that. I mean, what what does it even do like for me, for example, if I have a theology that teaches me that God kills children for, you know, of course, nobody yeah. teaches that, but I'm just saying, like, what effect does it have on me if I go through my life thinking that those kind of things happen because God wants them to for whatever reason that God does? Well, then I am serving a very different God than if I don't believe that. And so it's not I'm not even trying to say it's all about PR. I'm more trying to say is how does it affect um, our relationships with God? whether on an individual or a larger basis. Um, and I think that that may not be the only question to ask about theological things, but it's been a question that has been largely absent from theological discussion, which is, um, well, deeply problematic. Yeah. In case anybody hears it, because I'm not going to be able to edit it out. Ryan is not recording from a bowling alley it's just there is uh, not a timpani being played in my my home there is in fact thunder going on outside and i (laughs) I hope you can hear it there was one moment where i said something and at the very end there was this large crack of thunder which i interpret to mean that god is on my side (laughs) uh yeah so i guess to kind of round it out um with both of these conversations for me this felt more like an extension of what we talked about last Mm -hmm. time which is, which is great. So I want to finish with the question. Um, I'm going to ask it of you and then I'll answer. Uh, where are you with this? Are, where are you with having a God that is omnipotent and omniscient? Are you comfortable with that? Is it different after this conversation? Just where engage with that. Where are you with that? I am comfortable with none of the options. <laughs> Honestly, like like I said last time, I don't like the implica- implications, implications of God being all powerful and yet the world being as it is. But I also don't like the implications of God not being all powerful. I think this one is similar. Like I really struggle with the ideas or the implications of God not knowing everything. And I do kind of struggle with this one a little more in terms, I guess it's similar to the other one, but like, I don't know how a being, a God, whatever, could create the universe and not know everything. Like that just doesn't, I don't, it doesn't compute, you know? Um, But in the similar way, God knowing everything, 
does create some implications that are problematic. So I've not been able to say, um, I'm throwing them out the window. God's neither of these things, but, but like I said last time, as I'm really trying to take seriously the implications, but I honestly, it hasn't led me anywhere where I feel comfortable. Um, it's more just like, I honestly don't know. I think, I believe that God acts in the world. I believe that God has will and plans that God accomplishes somehow. And I think God knows, I don't know. I think God really does know. In a sense, it's almost like either God knows everything or it's close enough to not matter, right? Um, <laughs> okay. But but I, I really don't know. I'm still kind of flailing around on that one. Well, it's, uh, it's very much in in process that's a pun <laughs> you love your puns <laughs> I do. it's good yeah for me um a different approach uh and a different result of this conversation the first is that uh i think i'm pretty sure where I entered this conversation, I'm more or less in the same place, but for different reasons. And now I have different questions. So hmm. let's say that a bit more um, concretely. Um, I, I feel pretty sure that God is not all powerful in the classical sense of being all powerful. And we talked about that last time. If you're interested, you could check that out. God's power is not coercive. It is persuasive. And I also tend to believe that uh, this will probably surprise some Lutherans, but I'm actually coming closer to Armenia, uh, Armenius than I have ever to been. Armenia, huh? Yeah, <laughs> Armenia. <laughs> Armenius uh, closer than I've ever been, which is to say that uh, I, I think I believe that God is all-knowing of the past and the present and the potential future. Like he knows what could happen. But because God is open and relational, he is there to meet people where they're. I loved what you said. Like he might know how best to take care of my loved ones once I pass because he knows who we are. He's been there. He might not know exactly when I'm going to die necessarily, but knows enough about me to, so that it doesn't matter, for instance. But uh, in the care of my family and my friends and so on and so forth, whenever that might happen. Hmm. Um, at the same time, it's causing like some real serious questions about Lutheran theology for me. Hmm. One would be the free will. The other would be the, the baptism that we talked about last time. Like baptism, uh, I think probably has a way to be seen as not coercive, but I don't know if that's just the shell game that we were talking about last time. Like if God isn't uh, coercive in his power, then is baptism an uh, anomaly? Is it a different way to think about things? Is there a way to think of it non-coercively? I don't know. It's just bringing up all these new questions for me. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I've landed with this is just really interesting because I yeah. went in here thinking, oh, I kind of know. And then of course. <laughs> he, he thought I he didn't. knew everything, but now he realizes he doesn't. <laughs> no. um, I, I think it's interesting though. I hadn't really thought of it in terms of God knowing every potential future without knowing um, the quote future. Um, I think the idea being, well, there is no future in the sense of 
Yeah. You know, um, so how could God know something that is not? Um, I know, I know what the classical argument against that would be, but I, I honestly, I think that it doesn't feel like a sidestep. It feels like at least an attempt to take the implications seriously. I don't know if it works a hundred percent. It may fall apart in some way, but uh, I, for someone who still holds on to some idea of free will in salvation and in all of that, um, I, the idea of God knowing all of the things I could do, but not what I will do until I do them, that does seem to make more space for God's power not being coercive, right? Because in the end, I chose whatever it is I choose. Yeah. Um, I have to think about that some more, but that's a very different thing than God knows every possible choice and the one I'm going to make before I make it about whatever it is we're talking about salvation or something else. Yeah. I just, this occurred to me as you were talking, it is related. I don't know if I can make the connection to be honest, but the reason I think I'm holding to a looser idea of the omnis is because I don't know, although I was very comfortable having God be a God that knows all things, I don't know if that is as much the goal of knowledge as I once thought it was. Hmm. Like for me, I thought the goal of knowledge was to be the master of knowledge and to know all things. Now I'm thinking more in my lifetime that the goal of knowledge is to learn. Like there, learning is always something that happens, even if you know everything. And then, you know, there's that classic thing about a PhD. You know that you're getting closer to finishing your PhD when you think you know absolutely nothing about what you're talking about. You get there thinking you know everything and find out you know nothing, nothing at all. Yeah, exactly. And I, I wonder, like... Is a God that knows everything a satisfying God? Not that God has to satisfy me. That's not what I'm saying at all. But is that really, let's say it differently, is that an authentic reflection of what knowledge is in reality? I think for lots of people, lots of Christians, it is. But I'm not sure that's true. And maybe that's too abstract to theological, but it made me think, as you were saying, of all the potential futures and how that can play out. And I just thought to myself, yeah, isn't it kind of cool that God's learning with you, how you react to those things, how you live in those things. And, you know, he's trying to help you as well to be a caring and compassionate person as you go through this life. Well, and, and I, I think for me, the thing that I, I think some of the classical arguments would be, I hope this isn't a straw man, is like, that really diminishes God if God does that with me rather than knowing above somewhere. Mm -hmm. But I'm mm -hmm. wondering, I mean, is that actually true? Like if, let's just say for the moment that, God, that that's how things quote work. So God knows all the choices I could make, but I doesn't know what they are until they're made. But does that necessarily make God less or God less powerful or God, you know, somehow deficient? Like, I'm not I'm not sure that that does, because in a way that seems to be. That seems to be God um, being gracious rather than weak. Right. Um, it's kind of like uh, the quote, like God doesn't need to prove. <laughs> 
prove it to us, I don't think. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's kind of like this. She was a terrible woman, but she knew how to turn a phrase. Margaret Thatcher said, um, um, being powerful is like being a lady. If you have to tell people you are, you aren't kind of thing. Right. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if, if, I can't believe I brought her up, but I wonder if something like that is going on here, right? Like God doesn't need us, but God is powerful whether we say it or not. And so it's like, I wonder if it's more of a grace, a gracious thing rather than a God isn't good enough. Yeah. Kind of like Philippians too, right? Yeah. He's yeah exactly. himself, if you will. Um, and is that, that that's not weakness though. I mean, to me, that seems like about as strong as you get because the, you know, someone who's weak is not going to do something like that. Right. Yeah. Or if well, you like the other way is, you know, when you're weak, that's when you're really strong. Right. But, but the idea being that that's a conscious weakness, like a, a sacrifice of some sort, like, um, I mean, even Jesus's death on the cross, that's mm -hmm. a pretty weak way to die. Right. And yet yeah. it wasn't weak. It was, you know, it was exactly the opposite. The most so, powerful thing. Yeah. Right. So I wonder if there's something like that at play here, even if, even if the particulars of that aren't quote, how it works. I just, I wonder if we're looking at it from the, we've only looked at it from one angle, at least we, I'm sure other people have looked at it from other angles, you know, but, and I wonder if we just need to turn the, turn the facet. Well, I don't know what the, 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 you know, facets of gems, like you look at the other side too. Yeah. Right. Um, and I wonder if, uh, I wonder if something like that is going on. Kind of like turning kaleidoscope too. It's yeah. like you see one image and then you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think maybe that's kind of where I am with this stuff is I've not been ready to say that God is not those things, but I'm trying to look at, but what, what are the other aspects of this, right? So what's another way to look at it? It's similar to the substitutionary atonement stuff. I've pulled back on that a lot because it's one of those things that has implications that we don't think about kind of thing, mm -hmm. but I've not been ready to totally throw it out at least not every part of it just because of, for various reasons but i'm trying to look at the other voices that are in scripture too or not just scripture like everywhere and i think that's what i'm trying to do with these is that um there's a lot to say about god's uh, omnipotence or omniscience but there's a, a lot other of other things to say too that i had never considered before and i think that's yeah. where i am is i'm trying to consider those other things and I'm trying to to go with that with God in that limiting process. You know, if however God has limited God's self, I'm trying to go along with that rather than than making the determination up front. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. I'm not always succeeding, but that is my that is my goal. It's a really good question, a good humble question, which is to ask. How is God doing that? How is God limiting the power, the knowledge that God has? Um, or uh, at the very least, that's it. Or maybe even even further in saying that God doesn't have certain power, certain knowledge. Uh, I think that's a really healthy way to approach it, at least in terms of like, filling out the image. And I think that's like the biggest problem I have with the omnis is it just, it gives a package of who God is and God's character. And it's just really not like 
it's pretty flat as we've talked about. Uh, the well, more you dive into it, the more it's like, well, wait a second. And I, I really do think that the part of this that you and I are both reacting to the strongest is this idea that if God is not these things, then X, Y, or Z. And I think that's where I go, well, I don't think that that necessarily follows, right? Like I said, I do believe God acts in the world. And I think that God works for our good and God accomplishes God's plans. But I don't think that that, but if God is not classically all powerful in the way that we were taught, that doesn't seem to change those things. It might change how they work, but I mean, I'm never going to know how they work anyway in, in, right. in the yeah. sense that we say we know how things work. Right. Um, so I don't know, maybe it's partly that theology is kind of uh, inherently built to the point where you talk about it for an hour and then say, but in the end, <laughs> you know, but I wonder if like, that's maybe that's okay because I think all theology gets us to that. But in the end, we can only do the best we can do. Um, and I yeah. think maybe that's what we're experiencing of like, uh, you know, that's, that's where God, God does things clearly. And those things seem to be for good. Um, and sometimes they don't. So what does that mean? You know, right. that's, that's kind of where I'm at. I got to say, I think that this conversation is probably most like the conversations we have uh, outside the podcast uh, around theology. We kind of come to this and we kind of spew out where <laughs> where we've thought about stuff and then uh, it changes. And I, I noticed that change at some point. It was like, oh, wait a second. It was after we went through that and that question about where are you now? Both of us were like, oh, wait a second. We are in a different place. Well, and then I think like we say all the time, it's okay not to know. And I think this is a great example. Um, like we do know things. There are things we know about God and there are things we know about what God does and how God acts, but it's okay not to know the things about God because we're never going to know all the things about God. Um, right. Whether God knows all the things or not, we're never going to know all the things about God. <laughs> you know, there's a tagline for you. Yeah. <laughs> it should be yeah. a t-shirt. <laughs> and I guess I, I'm probably repeating myself. I, I probably said this last week, but like God's okay. God's not afraid of us thinking God is or isn't all knowing. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's kind of like um, if your daughter came up the stairs and declared to you that she's smarter than you in every way, what would your response be? It'd be like. Okay, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. right, <laughs> my that's daughter I mean. does that all the time. <laughs> but, and, and your response to that is kind of like, well, okay, that's nice, you know, yeah. because <laughs> you're right. not like threatened by your your uh, daughter's assertion that or whatever, you know. Like, I mean, like God can handle it. God has the the biggest of shoulders, you know. God, God can take it. And uh, if God did not want us to do this kind of work, then I'm sorry, I'll just say it. And God didn't set things up very well because God could have been a lot more explicit than God has been on these things, right? I mean, God could have made it so that the Bible says, I am all powerful. And that means A through Z. Yeah, right. But God didn't do that, you know? <laughs> and God could have certainly made us in such a way that we didn't ask these kinds of questions. Right, right. So in some sense, God must be okay with it because it turns out God is not fragile and insecure despite what we may have been taught. Yeah. <laughs> because that's yeah. one of those implications that we never considered, right? Well, God must be because if not, then the whole thing, it's like God can handle it, I promise. God created the universe. God can take my questions, you know? Yeah. 
Well, and I really want to, you ended with the encouragement that it's really okay not to know. I want to add to that encouragement and say something that you just said, but in a different wording, which would be to say that God um, doesn't demand that we tiptoe around him. I think too many times we think of ourselves through the lens of Moses at the bush and thinking that we need to be super careful about what we say around God and do around God. But, you know, if you just look at that story, Moses is kind of an asshole to God. He's like, Moses has some you, asshole I'm not doing this. this. You go find somebody else. There's no scary. way I'm a part of this. Yeah. yeah. Send, send my and brother instead. God walks with him every step along the way. He even uses some strong language to get, uh, to get him to go do what yep. he needs to do. Um, but never does he think that Mo- in fact, he listens to Moses more than anybody else because Moses is somebody, well, maybe not because, but at the same time, Moses is somebody who's willing to, um, you know, just be himself in front right. of God and to be somebody who says, hell no, I'm not going to go. I mean, if Moses can withstand that and I think we can handle, right. He can handle anything that we throw at him. Uh, classic brother move, by the way. How about you send my brother instead? Yeah, right. right. Like, send send Aaron. He knows how to do this. And it's just like, is Aaron a younger brother, an older brother? Does Aaron's it say a younger brother? I think, right? Okay, okay. I think I could be wrong about that, but I think so. Which I could, given the that. setting, would have made that even worse, right? Because <laughs> you know, of course, right, the oldest one. Should, I hope I'm right about that. I could be wrong, but the regardless, the point of like uh, that's such a brother thing to do. Yeah. Uh, send him instead. <laughs> It really anyway. is. <laughs> uh, well, there you go. Now you know everything there is to know about what God knows and doesn't know because you've listened to this podcast where it's okay not to know. Ooh, that was a mouthful. Um, <laughs> I'm, not half as, I'm not half as clever as I think I am. Um, I would say, though, thank you for listening um, and going on that journey with us through this episode. And... Um, it's been helpful to us and I hope it's helpful to you to kind of just think some of these things out loud or in your head or in your heart or however that works for you. Um, and maybe we can all use this as a way to just kind of stop and think about what we believe, what that actually means. Um, and for us, for others, and whether that changes things or not, I don't know, but I think it, it would be helpful for us to all do that and God is okay with it. God can take it. God is strong enough that um, you'll be okay. So send us an email about something if you want, frontierfaithpodcast at gmail.com. You can tell us why we're wrong about all of this and why God certainly does know everything uh, or whatever you want. Um, We have a Discord channel that you could join if you want to. Um, which is just a place where we can uh, post messages to each other, have conversations that are ongoing. Um, Or you can just listen to the podcast and tell all your friends and please give us good ratings so that more people hear us. That'd be great. And yeah, I think I've said all I have to say today. Well, that's not true. But I think I've said all I have to say about this subject. Um, And I will just remind all of us like I do that it's okay and it's going to be okay and that God will take care of us. 